One of the movements we've seen in recent years has been this sort of whiskey renaissance where we have all of these craft and family distilleries popping up. And it's really creating a pretty interesting time and space in the whiskey community. And so that is one of many topics that I touch on with today's guest, Chris Fredrickson from the Traverse City Whiskey Company. But for those of you who are new here, first of all, my name is Chris, and I am the host of the Whiskey Noobs podcast, which you are now listening to. And as I mentioned, we have one of the co-founders of the Traverse City Whiskey Company, Chris Fredrickson, on the show today. And I will go to that interview in just a minute. But before we get there, I just wanted to touch on some of the things we talk about. Um, we talk a, a good bit about this sort of whiskey renaissance that we're seeing and how the Traverse City Whiskey Company takes part in that. We talk about the different whiskeys that they produce. They sent me a few different samples, and so you'll get a, a mini review of each of those. And we will talk about uh, Chris's experience specifically with starting the company, uh, his thoughts on where the company is headed, and we even get a little bit of info on some pretty exciting upcoming things from the Traverse City Whiskey Company at the end of the show. But without further ado, I will cut to that interview right now with Chris Fredrickson, the co-founder of Traverse City Whiskey Company. All right, perfect. Then I we can go ahead and get started. So I have here Chris from Traverse City Whiskey Company. Chris, how how are you doing today? First of all, doing well. Um, happy beginning of the week. Yeah, that's good. A good start to the week is always a good sign. <laughs> Amen. So. Um, I want to get started with a question that I basically ask all of my guests uh, because when the podcast got started, it's the Whiskey Noobs podcast, um, how people can get into the show, how people can get into whiskey, that sort of a thing. So I basically always start with where did your love of whiskey begin? What got you hooked, essentially? Yeah, great, great question. I actually, I don't, I don't reflect on that uh, often. What I, what I typically think back to is you know, how we started the business, but in terms of my love and appreciation for the spirit, that all started about four or five years before we started Traverse City Whiskey. And it was back in the day. So I, I was born and raised up here in Northern Michigan uh, in this town called Traverse City. And Traverse City has always been a bit remote, uh, a bit off the grid. And because of that, we never... We never had great exposure to a lot of fun bottles, a lot of interesting spirits. Those were always uh, more allocated and dedicated to bigger cities, you know. And um, so when I when I moved away to college, and, you know, to, to which is where I met my business partners down at Michigan State. You know, typical college life, always cheap beer and, and cheap whiskey, and that was a, a time in my life I'd like to not look back on from a drinking standpoint, but fast forward to my first big boy job in 2008. Um, I, I began dabbling in, in what I thought at the time were higher end bottles and, you know, with the way things have changed, they were, they were nothing bottles or they just were, they were not as prestigious as what they are today. But my, my journey started very slowly. And my thing was, uh, I had a whiskey. I actually had a, a, a pour of Stag Junior, and it was like the it was like the most romantic pour of whiskey I've had in you know in my in my tenure of of enjoying a drink. But romantic in the sense that it, it took 
it took me a good two hours to get through a two and a half ounce pour. And the aromatics and the taste and the finish and it, it was just wonderful. And it was this, this sensory revolution that I had never experienced. And it was, it was super high. I remember super high proof. It was 130 proof. And I, I typically had, had sips of, uh, you know, pours that were 80, 90, maybe 100, but 130 proof was crazy. So my journey started very slowly. And it, once I, once I tried the, this pour of Stag Jr., it, it kind of had me hooked. And so I began sampling different, different expressions from different distillers. And again, it was, it was low volume, but it was, it took, it consumed a lot of time. And so over the course of a year, two or three years, just slowly evolved the palate and, uh, it kind of like honed in on what, what I loved. And fast forward another 10, 12 years, it, here we are. And, you know, palate has come a long way. And now we're, uh, we're proprietors of Traverse City Whiskey. <laughs> Yep, absolutely. I think I think that's something that a lot of whiskey drinkers can relate to is looking back and saying maybe it was one glass, maybe it was one bottle or one brand that they try and they're like that was really that glass is really what made me realize, oh, this isn't like like drinking a Bud Light. This is something a little bit different. Um and yeah. I think I think that's a very, you know, a, a very common thing that a lot of us share. Now, so you, you mentioned you got started with those and you kind of expanded a little bit, started taking your time with these pours. Um, at the point that you went to start uh, Traverse City Whiskey Company, where were you in your whiskey journey? Um, specifically, you know, were you specifically interested in bourbon? Um, did you have any interest in scotch or anything like that? Or was it more of a, a passion headed down like the craft route? Um, where mm. where were you in your whiskey journey when you decided you wanted to start up a, a distillery? Yeah, it wasn't, especially in the sense that you know the word craft is thrown around so much today. You know, craft. You know, I you kind of just have to. I, I th- now when I think of craft, I think of micro distillery. And back in, especially back in 2012, mi- micro distilleries were still figuring it out. So my my journey started with. Call them the, the big box brands, not like Jack and Johnny, but more, um, more spread across small, smaller brands, um, and evolve from there. But, uh, well, speaking of pours, before we get too far into this, I noticed that you, you, you had a pour yourself, and I'm curious what you're sipping right now. So, right now, I have the Traverse City Whiskey Company Barrel Proof Bourbon at the moment. All right. Would it, would it be acceptable if I joined you? Absolutely, yes. I, I recommend <laughs> it. <laughs> cool. So back in back in that day, my I was very keen on bourbon. My so our the background of our company, my great grandfather was a, a chemical engineer for Dow Chemical back in the day. And in twenty eleven my father and I found a set of his distilling patents that directly related to distilling techniques that have long been retired. But as my grandmother went on to tell me after she was so amazed that I was amazed that he was a distiller and had patents for distilling. Um, 
his big thing, and I, I was just found this entertaining, was he would at the beginning of every week, you talk about families that do meal prepping now. <laughs> well, my great grandfather John Silhavy did cocktail prepping for the week, and he would always have a jug of a pre-batched bourbon Manhattan in the fridge. And so when you would, when you would come home, bourbon was his thing. And my grandmother always told these stories and we always had a laugh over it, but I think because of that family history, I I just naturally gravitated toward bourbon at the beginning. And, and from then on my, my love and appreciation for age spirits evolved and grew. Okay. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, mine also started with with family. I think that's a great way to uh, get anybody into it is to see somebody that you look up to, and see how they appreciate something such a a craft, and uh, it can definitely help to lead you down that rabbit hole. And once you take off with whiskey, as I'm sure you know, it it moves quick and there's no turning back. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So. You're headed down this um, this path. You're you're getting into whiskey. You mentioned you're into bourbon. Um, clearly, you've got a lot of experience under your belt with all of those things. And then, at what point do you decide you want to make a whiskey brand? What what starts that for you, or where what kicks that off in your mind that you go from just enjoying this hobby to actually saying, "I think I want to do that professionally." Yeah, um, there were. So this goes back to. 2011, so 11 years ago, and there were three things that that drove myself um, and my business partners to kick off this this distillery. Uh, one, it, it, back in 2011, we found the set of my great grandfather's distilling patents, which just generally was pretty cool. Two, uh, I had two partners, Jared and Moti, and the three of us were they were both practicing attorneys, and I was I was an management consultant and we we're on the road we were we were grinding you know, 60 80 hours a week for, for somebody else and kind of sick of it honestly and and on top of that we were looking for a distraction we were looking for something to, to toy with outside of the grind so to speak and and i guess the final thing is you know up here in traverse city Traverse City is up in uh, up on the north west coast of, of Michigan, and Traverse City is the cherry capital of the world. So, growing up, uh, my family farmed cherries. My father was always uh, an entrepreneur, self-employed. He's a farmer, and the one thing that had always stuck with me is is he always controlled the schedule. He 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 controlled his life and in our family's livelihood, and I think I always respected that a lot. And I always, from day one, was trying to figure out how to, to fit in that mold of working for yourself, doing something you're passionate about, and, and owning it and harnessing it in a, in a just a very, I guess, constructive way. And this, that combined with kind of our, my, my partner's passion and my passion for, for whiskey and the family history, all that combined really just pushed us to birth the brand and the company and it was the ultimate distraction and and we that just it fueled the engine and yeah fast forward a decade here we are okay yeah i'm always curious because i would love to be a bug on the wall for those conversations was there 
a specific conversation you can look back to. Maybe this is the case. Maybe it's not, especially with texting and everything nowadays. Um, but is there a specific conversation with your partners that you can look back to and say, you know, this is where uh, you guys sat down and said, this isn't just a hypothetical thing we're talking about anymore. This is something we want to do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the the, the beginning of everything was, was kind of your typical BS, you know, after a few whiskeys, daydreaming and uh, fantasizing about what could be. And, you know, we, we had the, the, the tools to draft the, the concept, the brand, the packaging. We, we knew how to do that. But then, then when money's on the line and we need to figure out how to fund it, and it's like, well, we're either going to drain our personal bank accounts and we're going to cash flow this and really try or we're just going to sit here and talk about it. And we made, I, I remember specifically in um, late 2011, we had the money conversation. The, are you in or are you out? We put in, you know, a few thousand dollars in the packaging and design and birth this idea. And the money conversation is, is, are we in? Are we going to do this or not? And it was, it was, one weeknight, I remember it vividly, and it was a kind of the the, the what are they the all for one, one for all, put the hands in and like sing kumbaya, and that's <laughs> yep. sort of what happened. And it was a it was the dedication of the project, and we we all put in, you know, we all dumped our life savings into uh, we had an opportunity to buy. It was 24 year, four year old MGP bourbon barrels. And it was a flavor profile that we adored and we were hooked and we found somebody crazy enough to help bottle our whiskey. And we sold our first bottle in July of 2012. And by the end of the year, we had sold through, I think all 20 barrels and we realized that we were just, we were on something and it was just kind of the market telling us that they were into it. And that was when we doubled down. We took, yeah, we took all of our, our profit from the first 20 and bought 40. And, and then that, those 40 cash flowed our, our distillery and everything that we, it's the, the entire base of the company. Wow. Okay. Yeah, a little long-winded there. My apologies. No, it's fine. I love the detail. It's it's awesome. Um, it's I think something. I like the detail because I think it's something that, especially my listeners, I do a lot of reviews and things like that. I think it's something that they all have interested in. I haven't hit on much at all. Is where do these companies come from? Um, you know, obviously some of the, the Jack Daniels and the Jim Beams have been around forever, but where, where do these companies come from now that we're in this renaissance of bourbon right now where we've got all these amazing companies popping up and making these awesome blends in, um, and bourbons. So no, I, I love the detail. Don't worry about that. But my next question you actually touched on a little bit. And so that's what I wanted to talk about next was, you mentioned sourcing from MGP uh, to get those first 20 barrels. Nowadays, is any or all of your whiskey sourced, or is it distilled, aged there, or how does that work? Yeah, so we when we started, everything was MGP all the way through late 2014. 
which is when we started distilling our own bourbon and rye. And we were starting to get ahead, get ahead, get ahead. We were finally at, at, at about a 50-50 marriage of our spirit and theirs, um, you know, TC Whiskey and MGP. And, and then it, that, it was at that point that the cherry whiskey took off or began taking off. And that began hijacking a lot more inventory than expected. And so we went from about a 50-50 mix in 20, probably 2017, to a 60-40, 70-30, 80-20. And by 2019, our distillate, we, we began just hanging on to it and kind of hoarding it because we wanted to have our own juice available over the course of time. And so now I'd say the on a, on a weekly or monthly basis, our split of our, what we're harvesting of MGPs versus ours is probably, probably somewhere around 90, 10, if I had to guess. And so we are still blending, but it's not the same ratio that it used to be. Okay. Yeah. Understood. I think that's something that, um, I find fascinating about the bourbon industry because I love that the sourcing takes down that barrier to entry that maybe didn't exist recently in, in recent years, but back in like a long time ago, you'd not make any money for years if you didn't have a source. And it just makes it feasible for, for talented folks to who know what they're tasting, know what they're blending to get their foot in the door. And um, so that's why I like to ask that question because I do think that's an overlooked thing that has really helped to fuel this renaissance that I'm talking about with, with bourbon. Yep. You've got a lot more people with a lot of talent able to get their foot in the door with it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's that's awesome. So for that, for the whiskey, which is distilled there, um, it's even mentioned, I believe, on the website about how being in Michigan and aging up there, mm -hmm. it's farther north than a lot of bourbon is done, um, can have an impact on on the bourbon, on whichever whiskey it is that you're producing. And I think that's something that gets overlooked a lot, is the factor that aging and climate can have on a whiskey. I think a lot of people like to focus on the mash bill. People like to focus on the proof that the whiskey is, if it gets watered down at all, etc. But if you could just briefly um, touch on what about the Michigan climate and the aging of the whiskey, what is different and how does that impact the whiskey? Yeah. So our, our moniker here, as you can see, is Traverse City Whiskey Co., the whiskey of the North. And what the whiskey of the North means to us is uh, beyond just our kind of our guest experience and offering what we refer to as up north hospitality to our guests. The other side of it on the production end is, is celebrating the four very well-defined seasons that Traverse City experiences every year. And as, as most of us know, the, it's, it's the, the change in temperature, which leads to the expansion and contraction of the whiskey and the wood. The more of that expansion and contraction, that the more exposure you have with the whiskey and the wood, the the more dynamic the aging process is. So, so you know, typically, typically in, in a more moderate environment like Kentucky or Tennessee, you you have some lows and some highs. 
live in Traverse City, you have low lows and you have high highs. And you know, we we split open a bunch of our barrels to make display racks recently, and it's it's cool because each every single rack that we've made, um, you can see these really thick lines of whiskey in the wood, where as the whiskey expands into the wood, the wood captures the impurities in the whiskey. They stick in the wood, and then the whiskey contracts um, as the temperature changes. And if that happens enough times, you end up with a far more dynamic product over the course of, say, three, four, five, six years than you would in a more tempered environment. And, you know, Traverse City being on the coast, we have a very high relative humidity. One thing that makes Traverse City different is, you know, over the course of time, there's two, so there are two compounds in a barrel. You have wood and water. Sorry, you have ethanol and water in the wood. And one of the two is going to evaporate every year. You're going to lose the angel share. You're going to either lose alcohol or water. And down in, down in Kentucky, Tennessee, it's very common to lose water. So your proof goes up. However, in Traverse City, we lose alcohol first. And which is, it is quite a blessing, honestly. Um, at first we were quite frustrated that this environment was, was hurting the, uh, the proof because everybody loves a higher proof. A lot of people love a higher proof bourbon. However, uh, there, there are a lot of schools of thought, newer schools of thought, that suggest that water plays better with wood than alcohol. So you actually you, you gain a, a more dynamic and, and fun finish in the barrel having, having a heavier water position. So anyway, we, with evaporation every year, we lose alcohol, which means we have a bit lower proof. Instead of the, the whiskey coming out of the barrel at 130 proof, it comes out of the barrel at 115 proof, with our entry proof almost always being 120. So we always lose, you know, between five, five to ten to fifteen points of of alcohol over the course of its its aging cycle. And and the the end product is is very is lovely. Um, if you visit our Rick House in the winter, the entire it's it's a it's a uh, open air setup. There, there are no, um, there's no heating. There's no ventilation, air conditioning. There, there's a good airflow, but there's a concrete wall that faces the outside of the building, and that entire wall freezes over with a thick layer of ice over the winter. So those are the low lows that I'm talking about. I mean, it's it's ice, right? It's it, it's yeah. pretty cold. So yep. it's it, it really. I mean, you talk about the difference in the quality of product, not the quality, but the, the difference in the, t- the taste of the product from the lower rack to the higher rack. It's, it's, it's a magnificent difference. I've actually, uh, that's interesting information there about the uh, exchange between the water in the barrel versus the ethanol in the barrel. That's not something that I've researched before. So that's pretty neat. I'll have to look into that a bit more. Um, but I think that makes sense. Uh, it's almost like having the more water in there. It's almost a catalyst for the the exchange of flavor. So that's pretty incredible, actually. Um, so moving on from just the uh, the questions that I had, I did want to take a second and talk about uh, three of the whiskeys that you sent me. So um, I was sent the straight bourbon, the barrel proof bourbon, and the barrel proof rye to give a taste uh, prior to this interview. And I 
wanted to talk a little bit about each one of them. Um, this won't be like a formal in-depth interview that I do on some of my episodes, but I like to let my listeners know what it is I'm tasting, um, especially because they've heard me taste so many different whiskeys that they have an idea of what I mean when I say you know different flavor notes or anything. So I figure... I'll talk a little bit about what I tasted in each of these whiskeys, and I'd love your input on on what you think about the whiskeys. Uh, you feel free to disagree with me. Everybody's palate's different, um, but yeah. just what what you like about each of them, uh, what you agree with me on, what you disagree with me on, um, whatever. So, starting with the straight bourbon, I took a few notes on it. Um, one of the things I enjoyed about it, I liked that it had, it seemed to me at least to have more oakiness to it, uh, than some bourbons that I have. Sometimes I'll have a bourbon and I always mention on my show that oakiness is kind of present in like almost all bourbons, but sometimes it'll be like white noise cause I'm so used to it. Uh, and I thought the, the oakiness kind of popped out and I enjoyed that actually getting able to being able to experience that a little bit. The classic bourbon sweetness, a um, little bit of vanilla, those sorts of notes from it, and then a little bit of spice, and as I sat with it, I thought almost more caramel, like it was vanilla in the beginning, and as I sat with it, maybe more caramel towards the end. And the last thing I would say is there was a note in there that I've gotten from a couple other bourbons before that it reminds me, and I think this is just a me thing that it reminds me of. I can't figure out what the note is, but it reminds me of like a crescent roll or like a bread, like a fresh baked bread. I get that from bourbons on occasion. I, I enjoy that note quite a bit as well. So for your straight bourbon, um, how, how'd I do? What do you think uh, in terms of your palate, what you think about it, and uh, your favorite parts of it as well? <clears throat> yeah. The what? So I would echo all of that as well. I mean, I, I would echo that almost to a T. And I, on top of it, on top of the, the, the layer of, call it bread, um, freshly baked bread, I, I would also add, just with that, the the rye popping, it's, it's a 75 corn, 21 rye, 4% Nashville. And that rye was, for me, regularly comes in as like a, has like a light baking spice tone to it. Um, that's it's one thing that I that, that I definitely appreciate. And I also, I mean, it's this is a little bit less about the flavor, but the the proof. I mean, the the bourbon compared to the barrel proofs, it, it's so much more approachable. And this is one thing that I love to share with um, anybody who's getting into the spirit. I always like to start at a much lower proof, like our like our cherry whiskey, which is is the leader in our portfolio right now. I always like to start with cherry and, and work work my way up to the bourbon. They're both very approachable. And, and yeah, that the blend of the kind of the oak, the caramel, the vanilla, the, the bread, the baking spice, just that it's, it's kind of like a, a harmony of, of flavor. And it, it typically doesn't land flat. Um, it, it typically ends with a, a decent finish and it's intended to be um, a bit more timeless without being unapproachable. Yeah, I could see that for sure with it. And I like that um, something I mentioned sometimes with whiskeys is some of them will be a little bit one-dimensional, whereas with this, like I mentioned, I almost got more vanilla in the beginning, and then as I sit with it, I almost got more caramel. And I, I love 
when you almost get a story throughout the pour. Um, and so I found that to be very enjoyable. Now, before I talk about my thoughts on the barrel proof bourbon, um, I did have a question yeah. about that. Is it meant to be the exact same bourbon without being proofed down to the, the normal bourbon or are these two different blends or how are they related? They're, they're very closely related. They're kissing cousins, if you will. Um, okay. They, it, it is the same recipe, but it is bourbon that lives at, they're at different points in the life cycle and they also lived in different areas of the rickhouse. So the barrel proof is designed um, to be more of a heavy hitter, uh, almost 100% of the barrels that are blended in the, the barrel proof bourbon blend live on the top two layers of our rickhouse. And they're, the, the barrel proof is built to be even more dynamic than the bottle proof. It's, it's, frankly, it's speaking to a different audience. And if you're ready for a barrel proof bourbon, we want to make sure that it's, 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 it's both versatile and dynamic enough for, for somebody like, you know, like yourself that knows whiskey well and can actually tease out those, those intricacies. Yeah. And I think that absolutely shines through, honestly. That's what, that's what had me curious about it. Um, because you'll know some bourbons, um, I know the Weller lineup specifically does this, where it's the exact same bourbon. One has water added to it. One does not. And I think, as you mentioned, you get a different beast with the barrel proof bourbon. And I enjoyed that because it, it did have that more pop. It had that more punch to it. Um, it right off the bat, it has more fruit to it that I don't think, as you mentioned, maybe somebody inexperienced might not pick up on that. And it hits you with that fruit and it's got maybe, maybe the fruits like a little bit of a cherry, ironically enough, a little bit of like a cherry note to it. And then it has darker wood notes, which you kind of expect from a barrel proof, uh, these darker wood notes that really give it a bit more character in my opinion. Um, which is all, they're all things that you kind of expect from a barrel proof bourbon, but, um, nothing if not enjoyable, I would say. Yeah, no, thank you for saying that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so with uh, shifting gears, I guess, a little bit from the barrel-proof bourbon to the rye, which is obviously going to be a very different beast uh, than the rest of them. Ryes are something that I am newer to liking. I I've always had ryes, but lately I've really been starting to enjoy the character that a rye brings with it. And I would say this is no exception. Um, I would say that the barrel-proof rye that I was sent... My first thought, I shouldn't say my first thought, this was a later thought as I was enjoying the glass, was I had forgotten that it was barrel proof, and partway through the glass I realized, I'm like, this has a, a significant smoothness for a barrel proof to me, and I can't say I would normally say that about a rye, because ryes can tend to be a little bit harsh. Um, I found that to be very enjoyable. And then it had the classic rye spice. It had a bit of a fruitiness to it that was more like a citrus to me or like something a bit sour. Um, unlike mm. like the dark cherries, it had more of like this light, almost sour citrusy taste to me. Um, yep. And then also a little bit of a subtle wood. And I even wrote down, this is a maybe for me, maybe like a with that fruitiness, maybe it's not citrus maybe it's like a peach or an apricot or something i i couldn't quite uh figure it out but i enjoyed that it had that little bit of uh 
fruit mixed in with that classic rye spiciness that you get. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, the you know, this is <clears throat> this isn't just my go-to the, bar- the the barrel proof rye. This is most of our team's go-to. We, in fact, the barrel proof rye became so popular in the house. Um, so everybody on the production staff is, is entitled to a shift cocktail or a shift drink after every full, um, full production shift. And we started looking at the, the reports after months of implementing this as an option and had to make a business decision to say, you know, you can, you can definitely have a, the barrel proof rise a shift drink, but we're going to have to, we're going to have to upcharge for that a little bit because it's, you know, we're consuming at such a, such a pace. Uh, because everybody, we were so used to blending bourbon all the time. And as soon as everybody, you know, they're looking for something new, something fresh, and that's where the barrel proof rye came in. And we all, we love it. I mean, it's, this is, it's certainly a house favorite. I don't know how more people are into both barrel proof and bottle proof rye. Um, they're, they're so fun to sip meat on the rocks, but they, even like the barrel proof rye in, in, in a Sazerac, is is just wonderful because it it helps the whiskey pop in the cocktail, and yeah, I'm uh, a huge fan. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, and I think it can be easy to gravitate away from rye or even a barrel proof rye because. Uh, like I said, rise to me always came across harsh, especially lower shelf ones. And I think people mm. can get scared off by that. But like I mentioned, when I got partway into this glass, I realized I'm like, this is barrel proof and this is surprisingly smooth. And I, I can assure you, I'm not just saying that to flatter you. I do rather honest reviews on here. <laughs> but but as far as rise go, I was I was impressed by it. I found it to be very enjoyable. Yeah. And I think um, it's funny. I just took a sip while you were talking and I, I definitely picked up. It was sort of an apricot, like a, like a dried apricot layer in the taste. Yeah, and I think that gives it an extra dimension that it wouldn't have without it. Some ryes are just like black pepper and baking spices, and you, that's it, and you get punched in the face with it. But that that yeah. apricot really helps with it, I think. Yeah, fruity, and then so our rye is, is constructed. It's it's uh, it's built with our our distillate, which is a 100% rye, um, married with the MGP recipe of 95.5. So it's a 50-50 blend of the two. And so the you've got kind of that layer, the, the layer of butter, the layer of spice, the layer of fruit. And, and it's that, yeah, just the marriage of the, the, the three or more. Um, it, yeah, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Now, um, one question that I that that just actually brought up for me that I think could be interesting is the marriage process. At how exactly does that work? Do you go through and you pick um, specific barrels from your distillate and specific barrels from MGP and marry those two? Are there any instances? And maybe this is a dumb question, but I don't produce whiskey. Are there any instances where uh, you actually marry distillate and age them together, or is it always a, a picking of barrels for profiles and kind of matching the profiles together? Yeah, de- definitely the latter. So okay. um, our software lets us record notes of, of each barrel, and as we're going through and building batches uh, of the bourbon or the rye, we're we're looking for a difference. We're looking for contrast. So. We don't want to put in 
into a batch, say 10 barrels of, of the same thing, we want to cross pollinate um, the, the apricot, the spice, the butter, and we want to, we want the marriage, right? And, and so it's, it, it is more often than not that we are not turning away barrels, but putting, re, re-corking the barrel, you know, putting a, a fresh bung in to let that barrel sit because it was too close to its family member. And, and then just diving deeper into the warehouse, into the rickhouse, and finding something that is different and, and just has a different profile so that when you mirror them together, and we always test it ahead of time to make sure it's, it's a good blend. But the, the point is we want it, we want it to come, we want every, every base, every flavor profile of the bourbon or the rye to come in from different points um, so that your, your sensory experience is, is, is fun and unique. Okay. Yeah. I think that absolutely makes sense. So I think that pretty much pretty well covers the those three whiskeys. And um, I did enjoy all of those, as I mentioned. So uh, I wanted to give just a quick overview of all three of them to the people listening, since I didn't do like an in-depth review of them, as I mentioned. But uh, it's a great yeah. lineup. I think it's nice to have that progression. You mentioned you have the, the cherry whiskey, which is good for beginners. And then you can jump into that bourbon. And then when you get into bourbon and you start to want higher proof, you got the barrel proof. And then usually it you have to get into the barrel proof bourbons or the higher proof bourbons before the rye starts to be approachable. And you can almost just progress through that lineup, in all honesty. That is a great summary. That is exactly how, if I was inviting somebody to, to come on the journey, that's exactly the route I would take. Yeah, I think it's a natural progression. So I think it's a great option to have to be able to walk through that and have all coming from the same brand so you have that um, consistency I would say Um, so moving on to my last couple of questions that I had and uh, this next one's just a little bit of fun is what would you say is your favorite whiskey in your guys's lineup and why is it your favorite hmm that's a great question I, I can't recycle what I mentioned earlier about the, the barrel proof being the barrel proof rye being that go-to. Um, again, one thing that is is so near and dear to Traverse City is our, our cherry whiskey. But one thing that we were working on this morning was our 2022 release of our barrel proof cherry. So this is a distillery only. It's a it's a once a year. It's our annual release. And we take the barrel-proof bourbon and we infuse fresh cherries from the cherry harvest, uh, which happens a mile down the street from us. And we infuse the fruit into the bourbon at a higher proof, which is scary because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's top-notch bourbon and fresh fruit. It's, it's, it's a romantic process, but, um, you know, we, up here in Traverse City, we have the National Cherry Festival every year, right around July 4th huge influx of people coming to Traverse City to, to celebrate cherries. Two years ago, the cherry festival was canceled. So we launched a virtual event called the Cherry Whiskey Fest. And as part of that event, we decided to have some fun. And we launched our fir- the first ever barrel-proof cherry whiskey. And so the bottle that bottle that's in front of me, it was bottled at um, almost 109 proof. And 
infuses fruit that we that we harvested and and the infusion was awesome and the product is is wonderful and it's it's the barrel proof bourbon with a thin layer of cherry and you know it's it built just like the cherry whiskey to be whiskey with a with a hint of cherry not cherry with a hint of whiskey absolutely i i like that um i'll have to give that a shot as well i think at some point uh because i i've had that experience the opposite of that experience before where you buy something and it's the flavor with a hint of whiskey and you never <laughs> as a whiskey drinker that's not typically what you want maybe some folks do but uh, right. not, not when you're drinking right, right. whiskey so uh, maybe you touched on this in that last question, um, but maybe maybe it is a different answer. I don't know. One last thing that I wanted to close on is you've got every every brand seems to have their thing. Uh, you know, you've got brands like Buffalo Trace that their their thing is that they've been the longest running distillery in the country. Um, some brands have a specific like lineup or a specific set of whiskeys that they focus on, and that's that's what they go by. What would you say is the, the Traverse city whiskey company brand? What sets you guys aside? Yeah. I'm just going to go back to what I mentioned at the very beginning of our conversation, which is our, our moniker, um, the, the whiskey of the North. And what that means to us is, is being approachable from a, a guest experience standpoint. We want you to come visit, learn, and want that entire base of education to be not too nerdy. I mean, we can get, we can get very nerdy, but you know, I, I've been on probably a hundred distillery tours around the world, and I left about half of them with my, you know, with a big question mark, like thinking, "What, what did I just learn?" This is that the science was just way too intimate, and and while we can get there. We want to be approachable. We want you to leave and know exactly what we do, how we do it, who does it, and what makes what makes the process unique. So that's part of it. The other part of it is to the whiskey of the north, uh, beyond the, the what we call northern hospitality, is is the the dynamic base created from the northern Michigan climate. It it's stretching it so far. In such a different direction than your classic MGP aged in Lawrenceburg, Indiana. We bring all of our barrels up to Traverse City, and they they all get not beaten down by the cold and the hot, but I would say massaged. And um, it, it it makes such a different experience from something that is um, I don't know MGP whiskey. I think is loved in the market, um, but we're able just with the help of mother nature to put our own twist on. And I think that's what makes uh, a lot of, if not our entire portfolio, very special. Absolutely. I think that's a, a great way of putting it. I think, I know that uh, I've tried all of them, so I can't say that my interest is peaked to try them, but my interest is peaked to continue to investigate them. So hopefully that is the case as well for those listening. Um, I know that uh, a lot of my listeners like to try the things I try on the show, see if they have a similar experience. So um, hopefully that was a good summary for everybody listening. But um, I appreciate you taking the time to walk through all this with me. This has been an enjoyable conversation. I loved learning about all of this and your distillery and um, where you came from. So thanks for taking the time out. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me. And um, whenever whenever time permits, we would uh, we'd love to host you 
up in Traverse City and, and show you what's what. It'd be it'd be a blast. Absolutely, I think I would really enjoy that. So awesome, awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the show. And um, is there anything that you'd like to to finish with, or anything you want to mention to the the folks listening? Yeah. So we uh, about two months ago broke ground on our new distillery campus up in Traverse City. Uh, we're just finishing construction of our first 20,000 square foot barrel warehouse. And we're about to start the renovation on our distillery, uh, not the building I'm in right now, but on the new campus. And we are building uh, the largest family owned distillery north of Kentucky. And we're going to, uh, our target opening day is going to be the end of summer 2023. And what I'd like to share is uh, come one, come all. We'd love to host you and uh, show you what we do and how we do it. That sounds great. Um, I'll, I'll have to come check all that out once it's open for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks again for coming on. And it's been a pleasure talking with you. Pleasure's mine. Thanks so much, Chris. Okay, that's all that we've got for that interview with Chris Fredrickson, who once again is a co-founder of the Traverse City Whiskey Company. Hopefully you guys found that interview and that information to be helpful and interesting. I know that I certainly did, and I think I even learned a couple of things throughout that interview. Uh, So hopefully you did as well. As I mentioned in the interview, I enjoyed all three of these samples that they sent me, and I'm not just saying that. Uh, I think the straight rye whiskey, the barrel-proof rye, might be something I'd consider keeping on my shelf, especially as I continue to get more into rye whiskeys. Um, So all three of them were definitely enjoyable, though, and I encourage you to try them if you liked the notes that I talked about there with Chris. I was very grateful to be able to sit down and do that interview. Hopefully you got something good from it, but that's all that I've got for this episode today. So as always, I will leave you guys with learn to drink, drink to learn. Thank you for listening to this episode of Whiskey Noobs. If you like the show, please make sure to leave a five-star rating or review to help grow the show and get the word out. You can also find more Whiskey Noobs content on Instagram at whiskey underscore noobs and on TikTok at whiskey noobs podcast. If you want to drink right along with me, make sure to join the email list by sending an email to whiskey noobs podcast at gmail.com with a subject line saying email list. You will receive monthly emails with a list of the whiskeys that will be featured throughout the month so that you can buy them ahead of time and drink right along with the show. Once again, thanks for listening to this episode. The Whiskey Noobs podcast does not support underage or otherwise irresponsible consumption of alcohol.